Alright, we are in chapter 8 of, of our book regarding uh, church discipline and fellowship. Um, we will spend this morning and Wednesday evening on this chapter. Um, so hopefully we won't feel rushed as we go through this. Uh, so questions and comments are, are certainly encouraged. I do want to make sure, um, as we kind of rushed through the end of 7 this last time, were there any other questions or, or comments regarding um, chapter 7, which was uh, what to do when your brother sins, specifically relating to Matthew chapter 18? Other thoughts or questions? Yeah, Gary. Deborah made a comment to me yesterday. She was so thankful that they he did give commentary on on these last verses because so oftentimes it's just over overlooked and neglected. I really like the one part where he said, "By his command we discipline, and with his help we carry out his command." That's at the bottom of eighty six. Yes. You know, a lot of times we, we take it upon ourselves or think that we need to take it upon ourselves to do the disciplining, but we're acting upon Christ's command and with with a proper humble heart and with prayer we're doing it with his help. Yes. So let, let's go back there real quick. I did appreciate that. He, he did something that I don't know that I had previously connected those verses together. That... Uh, we were studying specifically uh, Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. But e- even my Bible, which, you know, <laughs> the writers in Greek did not create paragraphs. They didn't use punctuation of any kind. But I do see at least the translators here have put 15 and 20 in a single thought, in a single paragraph. So connecting verses 18 through 20, saying right after how we should respond to a brother who, when approached with their sin, refuses to repent, even after multiple efforts, how we should respond to that individual. He says in verse 18, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name... There am I among them. I typically hear verse 20 all by itself. And we make some compelling points, and maybe they're true points, about what that verse seems to us. But in its context, I did appreciate how the author helped us see. It's all all kind of one thought. So that when, unfortunately, it's required of us... To, to approach someone in their unrepentant sin and they, and they choose after multiple efforts to still uh, not acknowledge that and repent of that and change. Christ reminds us that we're not alone in doing that. He's there with us. He gives us authority to do it and encouragement to do it. Um, it's hard to fight battles when we feel like we're all alone. It should be easier for us to fight battles when we remember that, that Christ is on our side. Um, and I think it's helpful to remember, again, the, the, the context uh, prior to this, Christ is not there on our side, you know, looming over, casting judgment, looking down on, on us and on this. He's there as a shepherd, heartbroken, as we should be, that one of his sheep would choose this. And I think that should, should help us in our approach uh, 
that we are not we are not doing this um, because of a lack of love. We're, we're doing it because of sincere um, hope for their repentance. What other thoughts about eighteen? I don't know what I just did with this table. Here we go. Okay. So in chapter eight, we are specifically in the um, the letter to the Galatians. Uh, we're looking at primarily verses one and two of Galatians chapter six. Um, but as always, uh, we're encouraged to look at the context. We're encouraged to um, understand what he's saying. He uses a couple of terms, things like "you who are spiritual." Well, what, what does he mean by that? We're gonna we're gonna be able to find a clear answer to what he means by that by by looking through the context. So we'll start back in Galatians five, starting in verse sixteen, um, and let's go ahead. And read that. If someone would be willing just to read 5, 16 through 6, verse 2. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not know the things that you wish, do not do the things you wish but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealous outbursts, wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, reveries, and the like. But which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. In a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Thank you. Again, I'm used to studying these things, you know, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Study those a lot, by themselves. Um... But there is great benefit in, in studying these things together. It, it should help clarify um, the instruction given in, in chapter 6. <coughs> what? Let, let me go ahead and read, read the quote at the beginning of this, this chapter. If anyone knows who Augustine of Hippo is, by all means share that. I did find this, this valuable. He said, So then... Be neither consenting to evil, so as to approve it, or negligent, so as not to reprove it, nor proud, so as to reprove it in a tone of insult. Each of these things is not what is best for that individual. To see sin, and, and we need to call sin for what it is, it's, it's evil, it's contrary to God, and to see that and consent to it, to say that's okay, um, that is to to approve it, 
But to see it and not do anything, to not reprove it, is negligent. We're seeing danger. We're seeing um, someone walking in a way that God says is contrary. And to do nothing is negligent. But also, to go to someone to address their sin, but to do it in a spirit of pride, as if I'm somehow better than you, or to do it in a way that is not primarily for the, the intent of, of restoring that person, um, to do it in a tone, as he says, a tone of insult, is just as damaging as these, these previous two. And so, in verse 1 of chapter 6, he tells us what kind of spirit we are to approach our brothers and sisters. And um, chapter 5 helps us understand even more detail about that approach. He speaks in page 90 that there was a conflict going on in Galatia. There was a conflict, and it's honestly, it's, it's a conflict that we all go through. This conflict of what the spirit wants to do and what the flesh wants to do. And it is a battle. It is a war. He says um, in chapter 5, and verse 17, that these two things are opposed to each other. They are contrary to each other. They are mutually exclusive. You cannot have your foot both in the world and, and in Christ and think that that, is, that that is okay. And so there's this conflict that's happening there in, in Galatia. Specifically, what's one, of the, what's one of the false doctrines that he talks about in, in Galatians 1 that's being passed around this church and accepted by some that's causing some of this conflict. Circumcision, right? We see this in the book of Acts. Um, Paul has been preaching to the Gentiles and these Judaizing teachers are kind of coming up behind him saying, yes, yes, you're all Christians and that's fine, but if you're really going to be acceptable to Christ, you have to become Jews first. Specifically, um, you have to be circumcised, and only then will you be accepted by Christ. How does Paul feel about that in Galatians 1? Verse 6 of Galatians 1. What's, what's his thought here? I'm amazed. I'm, ama- I'm astonished. I'm amazed that so quickly you are being drawn away and tempted by something that is not the gospel that I preach to you. It's not the good news that, that Jesus uh, proclaimed, that the Spirit proclaimed. And I'm, I'm astonished that it's so, uh, it seems like you, you've so easily fallen into that. And so he spends the first few chapters here um, discussing, in fact, uh, the adult class downstairs went through Galatians um, in, the, in this last quarter. We hear it occurring again in Romans. Like There is this constant draw, um, both to Jews who were Jews and became Christians, who want to go back to Judaism. We see that happening in the book of Romans as well. But also these Gentiles are being confused with this message. Uh, well, I, I thought all I need, needed was Christ. Um, they're being told by people who claim to be spiritual, people who claim to be Christ followers, well, no, we're going to add a level of necessity to this uh, that God does not. And so that's the... I'm sorry, was there a hand? Nope. Um, 
So he says, he begins chapter 5 by saying, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Uh, this was spoken a, a little bit of uh, on Wednesday night. Don't, don't submit yourself to the law of Moses again. Uh, that, that was not where true freedom comes. True freedom comes through the law of Christ. He set you free. He's, he's made that law perfect. And to go back to a thing that wasn't all that you needed is, is not true freedom. Um, he says, you know, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Uh, you're, you're replacing the best thing for something that, that is not um, as valuable. And he's encouraging them to not let this teaching permeate them. Not let this teaching um, get, through, get through their midst. But there's this struggle, he says in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. So we are free. We're, we're free from the, 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 the binding law of, of Moses. We're free from those, um, those specific laws. But what's the warning that he gives in verse 13? If we're not careful, we could let this freedom in Christ do what? David. Yeah, we're not free to do whatever we want. Right. And he talks about, you know, what the flesh wants. And we all have flesh. Right. Uh, so that's that's the danger. Because when people hear freedom, you know, we tend to think, oh, we can do whatever we want. We live in a free country. And we do have a lot of freedoms. But there's still a lot of things we can't do. Right. Nor should we do. Right, because what, what is one person's freedom could be, you know, I want to do this thing because it's best for me, but it may actually be harmful to another. If we all just do everything we want to do, well, we, we see in the book of Judges what happens to society when everyone does what's right in their own eyes. He says, don't, don't let this, this freedom, this wonderful thing that we now have in Christ, be used, he says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So don't use the freedom now that we have in Christ as an excuse to say, well, now I can actually just go ahead and do the things that the flesh wants to do. What are some of the things that the flesh wants to do that we read here um, starting in verse 19? We can wrap up. Yeah. actually like to answer that question looking at verses 13 and 14. Okay. Because... The flesh wants to bite and devour one another, uh, yes. consume yes. one another, but it says, uh, do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love yes. serve one another. I'm sorry to have forgot. Yes. No. Our motivation should not be for ourselves and to do the things that my flesh wants to do. Our motivation should be to look out among each other and say, what's in your best interest? What is true love? It's, it's to do what's in the best interest of the other. That and he word, says, uh, "I'm sorry." That word, serve one another. That that's a that's a slave word. That's right. We are free to become a slave to serve, right? But not ourselves. You know, we're we're not letting ourselves become slaves to sin anymore. We're told in other passages, we're allowing ourselves to be slaves of Christ, slaves to one another. I am no longer doing primarily what's in my best interest. I'm doing first what's in God's best interest, and then. Others, He says in, in verse 4, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is going to change the way we interact with other people. In every element, in every aspect of our lives. And as we are specifically in this class talking about what, what do we do when, when we see another brother or a sister in sin? Well, if I am primarily motivated by my love for that person, it's going to change how I view that circumstance and how I inter- interact with that individual. He says on the flip side of it, verse 15, like he said, Micah, thank you. <laughs> if we aren't doing it motivated by love for our neighbor, what are we going to do? We're going to bite and devour one another. And he said, look, the the inevitable result of that is we're just going to destroy ourselves. That's not going to be in anyone's best interest. Because if I'm out to get you and you're out to get me, we'll all end up (coughs) destroyed. Instead, he says in verse 16, "Don't, don't be driven by the flesh, but instead be driven by the spirit. And he goes through, he talks, he talks, look, the flesh looks like this. The works of the flesh are evident, he says, they're obvious. And I don't believe this is a complete list, but man, he covers quite a bit. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. I don't know about you, I, I'm not necessarily tempted to become a sorcerer or to put an idol in my house and bow down to it, but we're told that covetousness is idolatry. If, if I'm looking at something and I want that thing more than I want God, the scriptures say that's idolatry. Those are works of the flesh. He says enmity, strife. When we're talking with each other and we're, we're not talking in a, in a loving, kind, peaceful, unified way, he says those are works of the flesh. Jealousy. When I want what you have. When I don't, I don't rejoice when good things happen to you, but I, I wish that they would happen to me. Fits of anger. Rivalries. Are we, are we putting ourselves into this camp and those people are in that camp and I need to make sure that we get one up over it? No, 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 no. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions. He uses three words to describe this, this idea. We are not to put ourselves against each other. Not in this body. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He's like, in case I didn't... In case I didn't hit that one particular thing that you're struggling with. Look, the the works of the flesh are evident. They are opposite of what God calls us to do. Why does he go through all of this? Why am I going through all of this before we even hit chapter 6? What does he say at the end of, of 21? Why is it important to recognize what these works are? Those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we want everyone to inherit the kingdom of God. It's such an amazing offer (laughs) that we could be forgiven of our sins, that we could have the grace and mercy of God in this kingdom. We could all enjoy the benefits of being with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Like, I I want you there. I I want all of my neighbors there. I want everyone I've ever known to be there. But he says that if... If people are living in such a way so that the works of, of the flesh are being made known in their life, well, they, they, they can't, they can't, uh, they are not welcome in that kingdom. So we can detect, we can see when the, when the spirit of flesh, when the works of the flesh are evident in someone's life. But what if the spirit is at work in someone's life? What does that look like? 
I think those are just as evident. What does it look like? Their songs Love, that get singing. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's no better law than this, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what the Spirit looks like when it's at work. And I know we can all look around us and say, I, I know that person. They have such a spirit of gentleness. It's so obvious that when I approach that person, that person just exudes joy. <laughs> Even in the most difficult circumstances, I see the spirit of joy in them, and it's so refreshing. He says, those who belong to Christ, to Christ Jesus, in verse 24, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They haven't just set them aside momentarily. We have brutally crucified them. They, we don't want anything more to do with those things. We're, do, we're done. Um, in other passages, he says, put to death the old man. Right? We're not asking him to leave and go on vacation for a while. We're, we're done. We're done with him. But that admonition to put to death that old man, is it a one-time event? I say, yep, I'm done with the old man. That was, yeah, that was easy. That was great. It's an everyday decision. It's an everyday decision because that man, that old man of sin wants to be resurrected. He's a zombie. He's a zombie, right? I hate zombie movies personally, but it's a great analogy, right? It wants to keep coming back. And coming back. And we need to choose. No, no, we're, we're not going to live that way anymore. Christ Jesus has given us what we need to put that, that old man to death. He has nailed those things to the cross. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If you're going to talk the talk, then you need to walk the walk. If you say the Spirit's in you, it should be obvious and evident. And those fruit should be being born in, in your life. But what does he warn in verse 26? Right, there's a temptation to say, well, I'm looking at my life and I, f I feel like I am doing the things that the Spirit wants me to do, therefore, I'm clearly better than so-and-so who I can see the Spirit not being born in their life. And, and I think it's key that this verse is right before what we're talking about here in chapter 6. Because if we're not careful, we will look out among us as an inevitable, it's inevitable, where we will occasionally see sin in someone else's life. And if I'm not careful, I'll go to that person and say, look, come on. You know, because I know. And he says, don't, don't, don't let us become conceited. That's only going to provoke one another. That's going to create envy between us. Few thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Absolutely. Pride comes before the fall. Absolutely. Yeah, Anne? Um, and to me, verse 26 is kind of the underpinning of his whole message of Galatians. That's what the real problem was in that church, was people feeling spiritually superior to others, um, when in fact they were off base um, and trying to get everybody to be the kind of Christian I am. You need to do this in order to be a real Christian. 
and there was obviously a lot of pride and challenging and envying going on in that church and so in one sense circumcision was just kind of not really the point it was the it was the symptom of the yes. heart problems going it was on a in symptom of the heart for sure, <clears throat> for sure. <clears throat> yeah so that's why it goes right I think really well into the next verse where he's saying yeah don't don't be like this see what this has caused but and if somebody does have a problem because there are going to be people who actually do have sin in their lives here's how to deal with it that's right that's right. Did I see some hands, John? I like the way he pointed out, and I had not noticed that before, verses 15 and 26 serve as frames or bookends to this discussion on the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And so you have all that inside of both of those relational kinds of uh, statements. And, and again, and well pointed out, it leads right into then right. six one. Right. David? Last Sunday we worshipped with the saints in Roanoke, Virginia, okay. and the sermon uh, I think fits in with this discussion pretty well. The preacher was talking about there are two debts that we have that we can't possibly pay. The first one is the debt of sin, and we can't possibly pay off that debt of sin. But Christ did that for us mm -hmm. in his death on the cross. He paid that debt. Now we have a debt of gratitude. And we can't possibly pay that debt off either. But we pay that debt and do what we can when we put on the fruit of the Spirit. Right. And right. we do these things, and we show that love for people. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't pay it off. So we got to keep doing it. We'll never get to the point. Okay, we've done enough good that we no longer have that debt of gratitude. And really, for all eternity, we will be praising God out of gratitude for what He's done for us. Yeah, he has done for us what we could never do. We were incapable of doing. Um, try as we might. Um, he even, and that's the blessing of salvation, he even offers it to those who haven't tried. <laughs> who haven't tried. But the offer is, if you'll come to me, if you'll submit to me, if you'll accept this, this gift of mine, uh, I'm not offering the gift because of what I've seen in your life. I'm actually offering this, the gift... <laughs> Because of what I've seen in your life, and you need it so bad, take it, take it. You know, take my 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 yoke upon you, and learn from me. Jesus says. Um, why is it important to take that time? Why is it important to recognize this battle between the spirit and the flesh in light of chapter six, verses one and two? Because that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with the one who is in sin who has succumbed to the flesh, who's struggling with the flesh, yeah. and then one who is walking by the Spirit that um, um, is going to be the basis of those who are spiritual. Yes. So let's, let's jump right into that question. What, what is meant in verse 1 of chapter 6? What is meant by you who are spiritual? So he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
Who who is he talking about? Would it be fair to say you could replace that word with faithful? Use faithful. Faithful. John. Uh, to make medicine, the uh, the equipment and the people all have to be qualified. Uh, they have to go through, you know, some evaluation. They need to be uh, up to a certain standard in order to be qualified to make to make medicine. And I think the same things here. Before you can be qualified to approach someone, you need to meet certain standards. And and I like to point back to chapter five. Right. That's kind, of, that's kind of why we did that, right? Mm-hmm. So who are those who are spiritual? He just described them in chapter 5. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to chapter 5 and verse, um, all the way back to verse 14. For those that know how to love their neighbor as themselves and those who are walking by the Spirit. Yeah. I mean, those. Uh, if we're going to keep things in context, that's exactly what the context is. That's right. And we spent, you know, a couple of, of chapters talking about, well, what is love? Those who love their neighbor as their self, well, what is love? Sometimes it's, it's tough love. But it is always, always with the intent to do what is in their best interest. It's sacrificing my own wants and desires for theirs. And, and you're absolutely right. It's those who are letting the fruit of the Spirit be exemplified in their life. What does it not mean? Sinless. Sinless people. Right, so those super people, those faultless people, should do this. How do we know that's not the case? How do we know that that's not what he means? No one would be qualified. Huh. I guess Jesus could come down every time and do this, but he's not giving this instruction to Jesus. He's giving this instruction to people, to Christians in Galatia, and he's saying, "Look, those of you who are doing your best." You're, you're not faultless, but you're doing your best to follow the pattern given in, in God's word, to live according to the Spirit, and let these things be, be demonstrated in your life. If you're looking and seeing a brother or sister who isn't, who's letting the fruit of the flesh be made known in their life, well, this is what we are instructed to do. And this is how we're instructed to do that. And I think it also means that we have to recognize that and you brought this up earlier, but that we all struggle against the flesh, right? Correct. I mean, it, he, when he says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, he's not saying it might, he's saying it does. And I have written in my margin from another lesson that this word against literally means opposed, and it's a, it was a military term that was used to show two armies dug in against each other. Hmm. And so the flesh and the spirit are always warring against each other. And if that's the case, then that means we all have a fleshly side and a spiritual side. And it, we're, it, it's always warring against each other. And so, you know, just because we're walking by the Spirit doesn't mean that we don't also have to take care and make sure that we are warring against the flesh as well. Right, because he warns of that. Yes, absolutely. Right? These are not perfect people. We know that by the end of verse 1 because he encourages, he instructs these people to be careful, you yourselves... That in interacting with this person in their sin, which is oftentimes very messy business, there may be something about that that tempts you to either want to join them or, as is sometimes the case, sometimes in my desire to reach the person, I'm coming to them in an attitude that is not love, joy, peace, gentleness. And I am therefore tempted 
to respond in an ungodly way. Um, we, it's, it's, it's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy where I see you in sin, so I'm going to approach you in a sinful way to address you about your sin. It's hypocrisy, and he warns, he warns against that. Uh, Anne, was that your hand? Um, you are spiritual um, also doesn't mean those who have Christians the longest or have taught the most Bible classes or win Bible trivia contests or have memorized oh, good. those verses, yes. which is sometimes what we, we would never say that, that those are the spiritual people, but we do sometimes inadvertently or subconsciously equate that. It's the right. powers of church, but that's not the way um, verses 22 through 25 um, define. That's right. Even, even Paul had to give Timothy, who is described as a young man, instruction on how to, at times, exhort an older man. Right? There, there's a godly way of doing that. It's uncomfortable. But I would say this. An honest acknowledgement of our own spiritual failings and weaknesses should not form within us a sense of inadequacy to approach another person about their sin. Instead, it should form an attitude of empathy and humility and a first-hand knowledge of the devastating consequences of unrepented sin and an urgency to help them repent. Because there, there can be a tendency where we say, well, I'm not faultless. Who am I to go to them? Maybe they're struggling with something that I myself have struggled with. Oh, I, I can't. I'm not the one to do that. And so we don't do anything. Is that really showing love to our neighbor? Is that really in, in their best interest? To see it, to see the danger, they're driving off that cliff, but I go, huh, I've never driven that car before, so I don't, I don't know how to save, like, no, but instead, it must put within us, look, I've, I've been where you are, and that it, it's, a, it's a bad place to be. It hurts. I, I, can, I can empathize with you. I can relate to the, the conflict here, how tempting that thing may be. And I'm, I'm here to offer you some help and some guidance. This has worked for me in the past. Or I know someone who you can talk to. They helped me. They gave me the wisdom that got me out of this. And I'm here to offer that to you. Um, don't, don't let our acknowledgement, because we do, we have our own failings and our own weaknesses. But don't let that paralyze us uh, to not doing anything. And he agrees. She, sorry. Um, using this... Uh, oh, no, I'm skipping ahead. I'm skipping ahead. Yes, I'm sorry. Reading these verses and thinking about what it means to be spiritual, I think emphasizes the importance of and the immediacy of needing to work on these things, to be diligent in, you know, putting away the things of the flesh. There's there's a there's a need and a um, it. it it puts importance on the need to um, work on these fruit of the spirit so that we will be in a position to do that and to keep watch of ourselves. You know, that it emphasizes that, that need in our lives. Yes. To be diligent in 
putting those things on and being. What what does James say in James four about boasting about tomorrow? I, I don't need to take care of that now. Now he's James. To be fair, James is is not necessarily saying if you see unrepented sin and you're not willing to do it right now. But his his admonition in, in James four thirteen he says, "Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life?" For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If you see something that needs to be done, don't assume someone else will do it. Don't assume that if, if I give it time, it'll go away. Now, I will, I will say this. Sometimes, for the, in the best interest of that person... You need time to collect your thoughts to make sure how, how are you going to go to that person in a way that demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit. Um, I don't know about you all. That takes me some time. Sometimes the first things out of my mouth are not the best things out of my mouth, and I need time to consider how. But it is not in their best interest to, to do that indefinitely. You're waiting for the most ideal circumstance. The weather's got to be this, and they've got to be alone, and they, you know, and we can, we can, at least I, I have been tempted to talk myself out of something, assuming that I have tomorrow, and that's uh, that that can be um, unwise. Yeah, Karen. What? And maybe I didn't explain that well. What I'm thinking is specifically about working on myself. Like there's an immediate need for me. To continue to grow in these things and to um, put away the flesh, um, you know, taking a watch on myself. Um, I think there's an implied yes. that this is important that we need to be actively working towards these things and not be content with the fact that this war is going on and we're not always able to choose what's right. Okay, yes, I, I, I do appreciate that. I, I think I am tempted to make make the application of it's me when I address someone else in their sin. But you're absolutely right. We, we need to look at ourselves first, right? And, and if we recognize in ourselves areas where the flesh is trying to make itself known in our lives, maybe I do have a, uh, an inclination for fits of anger. Maybe I am struggling with enmity towards somebody else. Is that something where I say, well, today or tomorrow I will do such and such a thing when it's in my power to do it now? Well, and what I mean by that, I recognize sin in my life. What do I do? I need to do first and foremost? Okay. Beg God to forgive me for that thing because he's, he's the only one with the power to actually take care of that, right? Beg him for his grace because he offers it to me Anytime, anytime I want it, anytime I need it. I see that, I see that flesh fighting within me. I don't, I don't want that. God, help me. Forgive me. Give me the strength that I need. Show me how that I can then demonstrate this better in, in my life. I'm sorry, did I see a quick hand? Yeah. Well, I guess I have two different thoughts. One is um, in what Kieran was saying, um, an older woman 
once said, um, if you want to be that older, wiser woman, you have to start now when you're young. So that need to be working on the fruit of the Spirit daily is so that when something happens, we will have that attitude because we will have been working on it yeah, um, yeah. all the time. On, on the other side of your comment, <laughs> on um, going to somebody or putting it off, you know, the last verse you were of James 4 there, therefore the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him it is sin. So if we see that, we even if we don't want to, <laughs> it's easy just to kind of turn our heads because because we don't like conflict, you know, or most of us don't anyway, I would say. Um, but, you know, I, I guess I look at it as God placed that opportunity in front of you. And hopefully, opportunity. <laughs> hopefully you've been working on those verses in Galatians 5 so that when that opportunity that you, he has, you know, I look at that as nobody wants to see something like that, but... I guess I look at them as opportunities because God is helping you to put into um, helping you to learn learn how how well you're doing maybe right. <laughs> teach you how well you're doing. Um, if we don't, you know, we have a reenact. Sometimes in classes you reenact, and that way you'll say the right thing at the right time, that type of a thing. And I guess I look at opportunities God gives us as. It's time for you to put in practice what you've been studying and reading. Yes, thank you. What you've been studying and reading, I think, yes. is important for us to remember. What are we filling ourselves with? My own abilities so that I can do this exactly right? Is that what we're. No. If we are filling ourselves with the Spirit, we're consuming it on a regular basis. We are communing with God, we are, we are asking Him, begging Him for wisdom. When those conflicts happen, I don't have to count on my amazing, you know, 37 years of experience, wisdom. No. If I'm filling myself with the Spirit, it's going to make this so much easier. It also removes the, the potential of them not responding well because they take offense at what I have said. That's entirely possible. If I go to them and simply let the Spirit speak, show, show them God's Spirit of concern and love for them and desire to restore them, um, there will be less, uh, less tendency for them to take offense at, at our own. Um, what, what are some similarities and differences between this passage in Galatians 6 and the one that we, we just studied in, in Matthew 18? I'm opening the floor wide up. I'm tired of talking. Yeah. We both have the person's best interest at heart. Yes. Yes. Jesus helps us appreciate in Matthew 18 the goal. Right? Right? We have gained our brother. That's that's the goal. We want that back. And and Paul does it here you as well. You mentioned earlier in the class that the, the opposite of love is not hate. It's empathy. Or apathy, excuse me. Oh yes, yeah. Do you see No, no, no. And in the way we go about it, there's a carefulness in both of those passages. Yes, which also points out a, a difference. Yeah. Yes. Here we have the general idea of restoration, 
And in Matthew, there is actually a um, specific example of a way that you can go about that restoration. Yeah, he offers us a good bit more detail. Right. Right. Because here, he he simply says, "Restore him in a spirit of gentleness, and keep watch on yourself." Uh, those are the those are the instructions, right? Well, what does a spirit of gentleness look like? Matthew gives us, or Jesus gives us in Matthew, a spirit of gentleness is not one who's going to go from zero to 60. You know, I see sin, therefore I bring it in front of everybody and blast it with no. A spirit of gentleness is going to do it this way. We're going to try these different approaches um, in their best interest. Did I see a hand, Micah? We've, we've talked about the importance of uh, Christian relationships with one another. And whenever we look at the fruit of the Spirit, those are not just virtues that I have in my own personal time with my relationship with me and God. It is, it's made manifest love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, and the like are made manifest in our relationships with one another. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, on that note, uh, using this passage and any others that, that came to mind, how would you describe a spirit of gentleness? So he says, look, if you, if you see a brother in, in sin, you who are spiritual, restore that person in this way. How, how would you describe that? I was thinking of uh, Hosea 2, where God talks about speaking tenderly, Alluring, hmm. wooing. Not in a sense you're you're trying to draw that person as opposed to like I mean it sounds weird, but it's like like looking for a spouse. I mean I'm sure <laughs> that you weren't like don't care, hey babe, how about I just uh, clip you over the head and drag you over to this cave or something. Like you wouldn't have done that. Like, no, I that, would not have done that wouldn't have been that wouldn't have been alluring. That wouldn't have been tender. But that's what God was doing with his people. That's what he's showing through Hosea. That he's wanting, you have been unfaithful. You've gone down these terrible paths. And I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to draw yeah. you back. And, and, he, so, and he goes above and beyond, right? Yeah. Especially in Hosea. Man, he, he does things that the, God does things that the average person would go, I would have given up on you a long time ago. Yeah, and so then you have things yeah. like Paul saying, like, to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2 that he was gentle with them like a nursing mother. You know, what, what's, that, what's that like? You know, yeah. uh, that, that's, it's tender, compassionate, caring, you know, um, not just slinging them around or anything like that, but like cradling them. That, that that's the image that we have of what, it, what a gentle kind of restoration would be. Yeah, and I agree. We all, we all know that sometimes even when we come in that spirit of gentleness, we still have to say hard things, right? God was saying some hard things there in Hosea. Uh, it brought to mind a passage here in, in Ezekiel. Um, the, the condemnation God had for his people in Ezekiel was whew, harsh. But then he also says things where he says in Ezekiel thirty-three eleven, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn, turn back 
from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Sometimes love has to say hard things. But just but, but being hard doesn't it mean it's harsh. Right. That's exactly right. Speaking the truth in love, right? We talked about this. Um, finding the way, letting the Spirit get demonstrate this, you know, patience, long-suffering, kindness, goodness. That's what you're wrapping these hard words in. And that, um, that is what, what demonstrates the Spirit. Were there other passages that came to mind? Ezra 9 is a good example where the people are caught in sin, uh, having married outside of the nation of Israel. They've got foreign wives. And Ezra's broken over that. Mm. He comes alongside them kind of, and, and mentions you know, himself included in this sin against God. Yes. And so... Uh, the, the brokenness coming alongside, you know, helping own in some ways the situation. In other words, I'm not I'm not perfect in all things either. Um, that gentleness. Yeah, yeah. I think that's our second bell. Um, we are still in this chapter. Um, we're going to finish up chapter eight and uh, Galatians six one and two. Um, talk a little bit more about that gentle spirit. Um, page 96 and 97 specifically uh, titled Restoration, Anyone? Um, We'll be ready for, for class on Wednesday. Thank you all.